we've put together a brand new sample of RAR Premium. So if you've been on the fence about joining us inside RAR Premium, you can get a free sample now to see if it's a good fit for your family. To get that free sample, go to readaloudrevival.com slash sample or just text the word RAR sample like it's all squished together in one word. <laughs> RAR sample to the number 33777. Okay, here's the show. Please edit that out. Wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> No winking. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Hello, Sarah McKenzie here. This is episode 137 of the Read Aloud Revival podcast. On today's show, the Read Aloud Revival team is joining me to talk about graphic novels. <laughs> I could almost hear an audible response to that announcement. <laughs> we either love them or hate them, right? Well, we get a lot of questions here at RER about graphic novels. Questions like, why do my kids love them so much? And do they really count as reading? Or should I be worried if all my kid wants to read our graphic novels? Or which graphic novels do you recommend? So today, we're here for it. Courtney Garrison is our Read Aloud Revival community director. If you've ever written into RAR, you very likely heard back from her. And of course, Courtney's a huge reason why RAR Premium is as awesome as it is. Kara Anderson is our podcast manager. She's the one in charge of scheduling podcast interviews and lining up guests and making those beautiful show notes. And we're going to start our conversation in just a minute. But before we do, I'd like to answer a listener question. Hello, Sarah. This is Kelly from West Virginia. I have a number of children that love graphic novels. What is your recommendation for graphic novels for middle schoolers and older? Thank you so much for your help. I always appreciate and trust your recommendations. Hey, Kelly. Well, this is a perfect question for today's episode because today's episode is all about graphic novels. In fact, we're going to have a whole list of great graphic novels for you based on ages. And that's going to be in the show notes for this episode at readaloudrevival.com slash 137. So we'll have recommendations for emerging readers, young readers, and more suited to you, Kelly, older kids and teens, and those will be at readaloudrevival.com slash 137. As usual, you'll be able to click the book recommendations right there online if that's easiest for you based on book covers, or you can print out the free list and take it with you to the library, which is also really helpful. So I think we have one other question that's come in recently about graphic novels. So let's listen to that one too. Hi, my name is Sarah and I am from Michigan. I have a question. My daughter is almost nine, and she just loves graphic novels. Anything with a lot of pictures, anything that has a lot going on picture-wise, that seems to what to be what she's drawn to. I'm just looking for a way to get her to find other books besides graphic novels that she really enjoys. She says she gets bored if there's not a lot of pictures in the book. 
So if you have any suggestions, that would be great. So you said your daughter's nine. And my hunch is that graphic novels, because they contain so many pictures, are a really good stepping stone between picture books and longer narrative like chapter books and novels. And just part of that is because we have been used to, as we're reading picture books with our kids, giving them a picture to look at with every page turn. There's nothing wrong with that. We're going to talk about it in the show today about multimodal reading is what we call it, which is when we're reading not just text cues, but also visual cues from images. And so there's something important happening there. And I don't think we need to worry about it so much. It's helpful to know if your child's been reading a lot of picture books, and then all of a sudden they go to a book where there's no or very few pictures, that can just be a really big leap, what we're asking them to do inside their minds. So a graphic novel, naturally, because it contains so many pictures, does seem like a natural fit. I hope that this episode will give you confidence in letting your child read graphic novels. But if you're trying to get your daughter to read outside of just graphic novels, I'm all for that too, because we don't want them just to read one kind of book, right? And so one of the ways that would be helpful is if you found an author that your daughter really likes the graphic novels of, and then expand her reading into some other books by that author that aren't graphic novels. So the first one that comes to mind for me is Shannon Hale. So she's written some graphic novels. She's also written Princess in Black. And those are chapter books that are pretty highly illustrated. Another really good stepping stone. And then once your daughter really likes Shannon Hale, she might go, hmm, now I kind of want to check out Princess Academy, which is a middle grade novel that is just fabulous. <laughs> so that's one idea. Jennifer Holm, H-O-L-M, is another author you might want to check out. She's done some graphic novels like the Baby Mouse series and the Squish series. And she's also done some really great middle grade novels. Turtle in Paradise is one that comes to mind right away. So if you can find an author who does both, that might just sort of help her see that she does actually like stories that don't have as many pictures. However, I wouldn't worry too much about her dependence on wanting images as she's reading. I think it's natural. I think she's going to not always want to read books with pictures for the rest of her life, but she's only nine. So she's sort of in that straddling period between reading mostly books that have pictures and mostly books that have just text. And so giving her sort of a long jetway to be able to get from one to the next is completely fine and reasonable and developmentally appropriate. I hope that helps some, Sarah. And listen to this episode because we're going to be talking about what's actually happening while your child's reading graphic novels. And I think you'll be impressed by how much is actually happening on the page and in your child's brain when she's reading them. So if you have questions you want me to answer on the podcast, go ahead and go to readaloudrevival.com. Scroll to the bottom of the page and you'll see a button there where you can leave me a message. Okay, so let's get into the team conversation about graphic novels. Uh, first thing I want to do is just make a really quick definition, a graphic novel versus a comic book. I know we, get a, we can use the terms interchangeably, and a lot of times people do. Technically, a graphic novel is one long story arc. So it's like a chapter book or a novel, but it's just told through panels. A comic book is going to be a collection of strips. You know, like you would see the Garfield comic strip in your newspaper any other comic strip in your newspaper, and it's just a few panels long. That's a comic. And then a graphic novel is a novel told in a similar form, using panels, using text, and using dialogue, usually through speech bubbles. So before we really launch into this conversation, one thing I want to make really clear is that Read Aloud Revival, we don't tell you how to parent your kids. <laughs> we don't make your decisions for you, right? We're not going to do that today. Ultimately, you as the person responsible for your children, you know best and you're the best person to make decisions about 
you know, what they're reading and how many they're reading and what kind of graphic novel they're reading. So what we're going to do today is not tell you exactly what to do, but we're just going to sort of give you another data point. We're going to give you some information about the benefits of reading graphic novels, some graphic novels we like and read with our kids or let our kids read. And and hopefully that'll give you a starting place as you're thinking about the way your family interacts with graphic novels. Just use this episode as a data point to make your own decisions. I think the overwhelming response we hear from parents at RAR about graphic novels is a worried one, right? It's the question of, should I be allowing my kids to read these? Or do these count as quote unquote real reading? Or are these books making my child a lazy reader? And so we started our conversation about graphic novels today by talking about some of the benefits. And the first thing I'd like you to consider is just that graphic novels are multimodal. So let's talk about graphic novels as a form of storytelling, right? A movie tells a story, that's a form of storytelling. A novel tells a story, a poem tells a story, a picture book tells a story, right? They're all stories, they're different forms. They all require different storytelling techniques from the creator, and they all require a little different decoding and deciphering on, part of, on the part of the reader. A graphic novel is also a form of storytelling. And they're actually multimodal forms of storytelling, which means they require more than just one kind of deciphering or decoding. They actually require that you decode and decipher their pictures and their text, both. I know sometimes I catch myself thinking that text only is like the best kind of reading, right? A novel is better than a picture book, but that's not the case. Our work with picture books here at RAR has really taught me it's not the case. Reading a story in text only is indeed a beautiful kind of storytelling but so is visual storytelling. And when we think about a picture book, we know that as a Jesus Storybook Bible author, Sally Lloyd-Jones has told us, she says this so beautifully, picture books are stories in two languages, pictures and words. In the same way, graphic novels are stories in two languages, maybe even three languages, right? They're stories and pictures, stories and words, and stories and panels. Because a graphic novel artist, the authors and artists of these graphic novels, they use panels. Those panels are the little squares or rectangles or similar shapes on the page that separate each illustration in a graphic novel, right? They use those panels to paste their story. So they actually tell part of the story too, exactly how they're laid out. So for example, a succession of small panels speeds up the pacing of the story. You'll see a lot of small panels when there's a lot of action happening. Fewer panels slows them down. If you turn the page and there's one big illustration, you're slowing down. So it paces the story. So a graphic novel is a multimodal kind of reading. It's going to require different parts of your brain to light up and think about how you're deciphering and decoding the story itself. So let's jump into this conversation with Courtney and Kara. At this point in the conversation, I had been talking about this idea of multimodal reading through graphic novels and how visual storytelling is an important thing to do as we're reading as well, not just reading text. And so here, I'm just going to plop this right down in the middle of that conversation where Courtney responds to me talking about multimodal reading. Yeah, that really reminds me of something that Michael Gurian says. Um, I think he said it on the podcast when he was here the first time. He said that different brains work in different ways, and some brains are highly visual. And they process better, more quickly, more efficiently when there is that visual component. So that multimodal form that you talk about, the, using the pictures and the words and the panels all together helps certain kinds of brain work in harmony together. Yeah, just that like kind of reminds me that Dr. Gray was talking about 
how we want to be working with our brain, not against it, right? And so if our brain, some of our brains especially are really keyed into that visual kind of learning that it makes sense that we work with it instead of fighting against it and always thinking that it's just because it might be the way our brain favors learning, that it's lesser than, you know, text only. Yeah. As we were prepping for this episode, I was thinking about Jan Brett books and how none of us here, the three of us has ever questioned, is reading a Jan Brett book to our kids, does that count? She has those panels and my kids and I would pour over those, especially her winter books. I just, (laughs) Jan Brett is always winter to me, cozy around the fire with cocoa and pouring over those books and then looking at the panels for a little hint at what is next. And I think graphic novels can do that too. I have never once considered the panels in a Jan Brett book, but now that you say it, so for our listeners, think about, so Jan Brett, we're talking about like the mitten, the hat, the three snow bears and honey, honey lion. So if you imagine a Jan Brett book, they've got these beautiful borders and usually on the left and the right, there's those panels that tell you a little foreshadowing of what's coming or what's happening in a different part of the woods or whatever. And I've never once considered about how, I mean, as I'm reading those, I know how important those panels are to the whole story. That's part of what's so beautiful about a Jan Brett book, but I've never made that link between what's happening there and a graphic novel. So that is, and that is exactly what's happening in a graphic novel is those pictures are telling you extra information, different information, contrasting information that you need to have both. You need to have what Jambrett is telling us in the text and what her artwork is telling us. And then exactly what you described, Kara, that lingering, that's what picture books invite us to do. They invite us to, you know, grab a kid, cuddle them up close and linger over the picture book. Look at, really study those. And that's what Jambrett is so good at, is giving us an occasion to keep on looking, to look and listen and then look again. But that's what graphic novels invite our kids to do too. I think maybe another you know, comparison here is that similarity between what we tend to think of with audiobooks. So we talk about audiobooks a lot, right? And we get asked a lot at Read a Revival, do audiobooks really count as real reading? And what we know is that it's just a different kind of reading, right? So listening to an audiobook is reading with your ear instead of reading with your eye. And as far as recall and downloading information and getting the story into your brain, one's not better than the other. They're just different modes of getting a story into yourself. In a similar way, I think we can consider graphic novels as just another kind of reading. And in general, Micah is sort of, when I look at a graphic novel, I think this is going to be difficult to read aloud. So I tend to think of them better as read-alones. But then as I was thinking about that too, I know I did read the Action Bible, which is, it's a pretty fabulous graphic novel version of the Bible. I read that aloud with my three oldest kids when they were younger, and it was really delightful. The big key, of course, is that you have to be sitting all looking at the pictures together. So you can't have like a kid coloring on the other side of the room because none of the action is described. Only the dialogue shows up, you know, so because you're pointing at the panels to show the action. But anyways, let's talk about strategies for sharing graphic novels with our kids, because I think when it comes to reading graphic novels, at least for me, I know that my sort of instinct is, but I don't really know how to read this. Yeah, I have an embarrassing confession, which is that when, again, these were very new to me when our library started displaying them. And I think they were kind of trying to figure out how to display them best. And they put manga, is that right? Yeah. Manga in with the graphic novels. And I thought that all graphic novels you read the opposite way, backwards. (laughs) Yeah. 
I was so thrown by it that I just didn't even want to open the books with my kids. So there is a great resource though called Tune Books, and it has a free guide for parents that we can link to in the show notes at readaloudrevival.com slash 137. And it helps those of us who are not familiar with the format. And I love to, it also, it has, it has like a step-by-step guide for how to approach graphic novels with your kids. And it even includes drawing comics, which for me is huge because I had a child that just, it brought him so much happiness to draw, you know, along with his comic favorites. That's by tune, right? And speaking of those graphic novels and picture books by tune, I think some of those are by Ivan Brunetti, aren't they? Courtney, mm-hmm. how did you become pals with Ivan? <laughs> well, I don't know if we're pals exactly. I hope to one day be his pal. We got to meet him when the Read Aloud Revival team went to the American Libraries Association's Midwinter Conference. And I had my phone out to take pictures of book covers that, of upcoming releases. And then I set it down to have Ivan Brunetti sign my book. And I walked away from my phone. And so I came back frantically trying to locate my phone. And along with Ivan Brunetti, another Toon Books author, Kevin McCloskey, was there. Kevin McCloskey wrote um, Snails Are Just My Speed. That is an excellent, excellent book to begin with. And it will read aloud as well as read alone. It does both. And so Kevin McCloskey said, I will call your phone so it will ring and we'll be able to, to locate it. And so he did. And I was frantically looking around and I didn't know what happened. I didn't find the phone immediately. It, it took me 10 or 15 minutes, but I did locate it. And later on that day, I saw that there was a message and it was from Kevin McCloskey. (laughs) He had called my phone to make it ring, but he left a message saying, hello, this is Kevin McCloskey. We met at ALA and I really hope you find your phone. I hope you have a really good day. Bye. And I was just so excited because this was an author that I love his work. And now he's, I've got a message from him on my phone. So Sarah has a picture of Tommy DePaula on her home screen, (laughs) and I've got a message from Kevin McCloskey on my phone. (laughs) The coolest factor around here is through the roof, and I pretty much think you can call them pals now. (laughs) That's so fun. So, okay, let's talk about choosing graphic novels, because just like anytime we're choosing books for our kids or helping them choose books for themselves that we haven't read before, we're going to bump up a, a... you know, against problems. We're going to need to use some discretion. We need some help figuring out what is appropriate, what's a good fit for our kids. So do either of you have any ideas for that? At our library, the librarians have started shelving graphic novels in a really unique way. They use two sections. One is called junior graphic novel with the designation JGN, and one is called graphic novel, which is GN. And so that separation, it's sort of like the difference between a middle grade novel and a YA novel. So the things that are sort of more generally appropriate are in the JGN section, and then content for older kids is in the YA section, or the GN section, excuse me. And that, for me, helped do a quick, on-the-fly, you know, I'm in the middle of the stacks at the library, my arms are full of books, there's a kid who needs to go to the bathroom, and I just need to know, like, where to steer my kids. And so learning that trick helped us to quickly find a section that was more likely to have books that were a good fit for us. Yeah, that's really helpful. At my library, they don't make that distinction. There's just graphic novels. They're kind of in between middle grade and YA, the, those two sections of the library, and they're lumped together. But 
they tend to put those emerging reader graphic books, like the picture books, like the one we were just talking about by Kevin McCloskey and Ivan Brunetti, those tomb books, those are in the early reader section. And then adult graphic novels have their own spot at a different point, part of the library. But anyway, I think it's worth noting that not all libraries do this the same, but I do think listeners, you can ask your librarian. There's, you know, they want to help you. And so there's a lot of help if you say, ask your librarian, hey, I'm looking for graphic novels that are especially appropriate for elementary age kids and don't, if you're looking for graphic novels that don't have a potentially questionable content, let them know and see if they can steer you in the right direction. I kind of think that standard advice we give here at Read Aloud Revival stands that you, you want to pre-read when you can. We know you can't always, neither can we. So you do want to use trusted book lists and book reviews for helping choose books. Uh, We've recommended redeemedreader.com for their book recommendations before, and they're always reviewing new graphic novels. They're a great uh, resource. We'll put a link to them in the show notes. Again, that's Redeemed Reader. Um, And then if you're just in the habit of talking about books with your kids so that when tricky stuff shows up in books, whether that's a graphic novel or a middle grade novel or a YA novel or anything, I mean, a picture book, I mean, tricky stuff can show up kind of anywhere. And so if you're in the habit of talking about books with your kids, then you can use those conversations as a gateway into a fruitful conversation. Really, I think it's helpful just to know there's not really an easy button here when it comes to choosing books for our kids. And the same thing is true about graphic novels as it is about all the other kinds of books we're going to you know, share with our kids. Although I will say it is wonderful if your child has a friend who's just a year or two older who has really <laughs> great taste in graphic novels because my daughter has that. And that is one of the ways that we've been able to sort through which are the ones to bring home and which are the ones to leave at the library. (laughs) But we are going to make some specific recommendations, right? So we're going to put those over in the show notes at readaloudrevival.com slash 137. Yep, that's right. We've got a book list for you there and you can see the whole list online. You can click on the book covers or you can print out the printable list, which is helpful if you're going to the library. And especially if you print out that list and you bring it to your library and say, can you help me find some on here? A lot of voices might tell you that you need to learn how to get better at homeschooling, but I know something about you. You don't actually need to homeschool better. You need to homeschool happier, to have more fun, to smile more, laugh more. You want a twinkle in your eye, (laughs) and you want your kids to know deep in their bones that you love homeschooling them. That twinkle is worth pursuing too, because the key to a successful homeschool is a peaceful, happy mother. And that's what we're committed to helping you become at RAR Premium. RAR Premium is a unique program that offers mentoring for you, the homeschool mom, and we offer Open and Go Family Book Club. This is a family book club you can use with all ages from 4 to 17, and it will explore language arts, reading, and we often dip into writing, science, history, all across the curriculum as we uncover so many good and meaningful ideas. The best news is we do all the prep work for you. If you'd like to get a free sample of RAR Premium so you can see if it's a good fit for your family, head to readaloudrevival.com slash sample, or you can just text RAR sample, one word, to the number 33777 and we'll send it your way. Now back to the show. Let's talk a little bit about where to begin with graphic novels in our kids. 
So like Kara already mentioned, Tune Books in general is a great place. It's a, a publishing house. And so things by Tune House are great for emerging readers, struggling readers, really of any age. They're not, they might be located in the library with easy readers, but that doesn't mean that kids who are older will not be interested in them. They're actually, they're very well done. They're funny. They're smart. I think parents will like them just as much as their kids. More specifically, I would start with Ivan Brunetti's comics as easy as ABC. It's a primer on how comics works. We've talked about how panels work and Ivan is an artist. And so he talks about how just small details change things, how the how drawing a character's eyebrows gives us information about how they're feeling. And those sorts of sophisticated reading strategies, visual reading strategies, help our kids become the sophisticated readers that we want them to be. And you know what it reminds me of, Courtney, is it reminds me of Mo Willem's Elephant and Piggy books, which are really like graphic novel type, you know, because they've got just the dialogue bubbles. I'm trying to think of some of the Elephant and Piggy books that we have sitting in my boys' room, all of the text, I think, is done through dialogue. But it's amazing to me how a simple change in line changes the expression of like Piggy's face from being like elated to being horrified to being scared. And it always sort of blows my mind. Like there's probably four lines on his face total. And that's how he makes him so... It's so figuring out those visual cues and they're super funny. So beyond those younger kids, the tune books, Elf and Piggy type books, Graphic novels can be a really great way to enter into the world of classics, right? And there are a lot of classics being made into graphic novels right now. Yeah, I like to call these classics with scaffolding. It's all of the goodness of classic novels like Shakespeare or Dickens or Austen or even Anne of Green Gables or The Hobbit. But then there's the added scaffolding of the images. By reading these contemporary graphic novels, we have the opportunity to learn the characters and the main action of the plays and novels. And then as our kids are older and they're ready for the originals, they can approach the work of deciphering the antiquated language, but inside the context of characters and stories that they already know. Yeah, that seems super helpful, especially with like Shakespeare, because there's a bazillion characters in the Shakespeare play. And it can be really difficult to keep up with the actual play if if you can't remember who's who or who's dressing up as who. (laughs) Right. The the Marsha Williams graphic novels of Shakespeare plays are excellent for that because All of the Montagues from Romeo and Juliet, all of the Montagues are dressed in one color and all of the Capulets are in another color. Just getting that clear in your head helps you be able to tackle the next level of what the language is saying and doing. I also really love using graphic novels so that everyone can learn together at our house. Older kids are working through the classics in the original the original way and younger kids have access to the same stories through adaptations. And we love to have these kinds of books. Like I said, Marshall Williams books are great to put in morning time baskets because then everyone can have access to the stories. Yeah, no matter their age, everybody's engaging in the same story then, but just from a different mode kind of. Right. And I used to worry that these retellings were just dumbed down versions of the originals, something that we didn't want to give our kids. But actually, and I mean, graphic novels are not all created equal. So this isn't always universally true. But A graphic novel is a record of the author's interaction with the text. Hmm. We get to see their interpretation. The authors are making choices about what to highlight, what to leave out, who's a good guy, who's a bad guy, who has an ulterior motive. And that's the sort of analysis that we want our kids to do eventually. And so seeing an artist do that gives us a really great model. Yeah, you know, 
early on in homeschooling, I heard a lot of skepticism in general about, you know, abridged versions of classics, early reader versions. And I think graphic novel versions would probably fit into that same sort of category of, well, this isn't the real thing. You know, I think the concern is valid. Of course, we're worried that if kids read a simplified version of Heidi, for example, then they'll feel like they've read or done Heidi, but they haven't really been exposed to the beautiful language or even the author's complete ideas. But what actually I saw happen in my own home a lot of times, specifically with Heidi, in fact, is that my daughter Allison read an early reader abridged version of Heidi and then loved it so much that she was willing to do the hard work of slogging through a book that would have been harder than normally she would be able to pick up because she wasn't really ready to read that book yet when she did. But because she was already familiar, exactly like you said, Court, with the characters and the plot and the setting, she was able to then tackle the harder language. And it just makes you hungry for more instead of making you feel like you've done the book or it's, you know, checked off. So I can see that. I can see that with graphic novels, especially with those classics like Dickens and Shakespeare that have a lot of characters or are really long. So it's a lot of plot to hold in your head as you're trying to navigate through old language too. So Usborne is making a lot of these classics into graphic novels. I know other publishers are. Courtney, you mentioned Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> I'm like, oh, everyone's ears perked up when you said that. <laughs> and Anne is a really great example because I think people have strong opinions about how things should go with Anne, how old <laughs> Marilla and Matthew should be or what certain scenes, how certain sh- scenes should play out. And so I, that's a really great place. It was the Anne of Green Gables graphic novel was not my kid's favorite because they had such strong opinions. And so they were making comments about what got left out and what didn't. And so that was a really good compare and contrast experiment. Well, yeah. So even though they didn't love it and maybe it wasn't their favorite, it encourages them to go back to the real Anne. Exactly. Right? And, then, and to defend their, their positions. And yeah. And I will take any excuse to watch the movies again. Well, we better watch them again so we can compare. <laughs> you had said earlier, Sarah, that there's sort of a parallel between how we view graphic novels and how we view audiobooks. And when I was growing up, I never read any Jane Austen. And I think I was a little bit embarrassed about that in later life. Like I felt like I should have. And so I built it up as this thing that must be really hard just because it had been a gap in my education. And so I thought I'm going to try to listen to it on audio first. And what that did was I learned the story. I learned the characters. I learned that they're funny. Those books are funny. (laughs) And it helped me find an entryway into Jane Austen where I wanted to explore more. So I think if kids are intimidated by the idea of some of those big stories and classics, graphic novels can be a way to introduce them to the story and then it becomes familiar and then it totally removes that intimidation factor. Now that we've brought up Austen, I have to tell you about a book that's not exactly a graphic novel, but it is by Marsha Williams who writes lots of classic graphic novels. I was ordering her adaptation of Homer for our new school year And I came across a middle grade book that she'd written. So it's lots of text with a few of her illustrations. And it's called Lizzie Bennett's Diary. It's based on Pride and Prejudice. And it is a hoot. It's out of print. Our library didn't have it. We had to get it through interlibrary loan, but it is worth tracking down. It's very witty. It's fabulous to read aloud. Our 12-year-old is actually reading it aloud to her brothers. Oh, that's the best. We'll have a lot of those classics that have been made into graphic novels listed in our book list, which again is in the show notes at readaloudrevival.com slash 
137. And they can be a really good way to introduce classics if you're going to be reading the classic later on in your homeschool. If you have an older child, a teenager maybe who's reading the actual classic and a younger child who's reading the graphic novel or you're reading that with them, that can be a great way to like stir up dinnertime conversation because now everybody's familiar with the story, which is awesome because then it's sort of an entryway into everything. And it's also, it probably, I could, I'm just now thinking, it could be a great way to invite dad into reading a classic as well if he's not doing a lot of that reading aloud normally. He might be interested in checking out the graphic novel. So something happens whenever I, you know, you're exposed to great stories and great art. I know for me, it always makes me want to start drawing. That's what happens whenever I see like a, a beautiful picture book that has wonderful nature scenes. I think, I wonder if I could sketch something kind of like that. Just kind of stirs up that desire to start drawing. And Carrie, you talked about how your son wanted to draw and make his own comics as a, you know, as a way to engage in the comics he was reading. So maybe we should mention that there are several helpful resources on drawing and comics that can, you know, invite your kids into the experience of drawing and writing stories through the graphic or comic format. Uh, We'll put some links in the show notes to some books if your kids are eager to try their hand at drawing comics or stories through panels. You know, there's one other thing I think we should bring up, and that's the fact that we... I think we need to be careful not to insult or disparage our kids' reading taste. I know I will default into this without even realizing it because it's so easy to do. You know, we see a a book our child's reading, we're not impressed with it (laughs) for whatever reason, and we think, wow, you know, you could do better than that, right? But, okay, so when I think about myself, I think when someone insults my taste in something, you know, maybe like sappy romantic movies or some kind of light reading, it doesn't make me love that movie or that book any less, right? It just sort of makes me feel a little ashamed, a little embarrassed. It definitely doesn't invite me into a conversation with that person, right? If they're going to make fun of whatever book or movie I'm watching, it doesn't make me want to go like, oh, I can't wait to tell them about what means a lot to me in this or why I like it. Or So I just think if we're guiding our kids' reading choices, it's helpful to remember that maybe it's better to just fill our kids' shelves, our book baskets, our coffee tables, our bookshelves with really wonderful books so that our kids are being exposed to this wide assortment of, you know, true literary treasures. And then also to give them the freedom and space to develop their own unique reading taste without belittling them. Because we don't want to become elitist about books, right? That's not going to invite our kids to want to talk to us about books. It's not going to make them open to taking our book recommendations. And I don't think it's the way to help our kids fall in love with reading. If you happen to have kids who really love graphic novels, probably the best way to steer them toward other books isn't to belittle their or make fun of their graphic novels, <laughs> right? It sounds obvious, but I also think it's something that a lot of us slip into accidentally. Yeah, I think what you said about when someone belittles something that you care about, it doesn't make you want to talk to them more about it. And that's kind of what we want to do most of all is share the stories and then talk about them together. And so creating that atmosphere of respect, I think, helps with that. And we don't know always exactly what our kids are getting from a book. We make our own judgments about what they're doing, but that book might be feeding something in them that we don't know fully what it is. And we can have faith that out of all of the books, they're getting a balanced diet and there can be things that are sweet treats and deep nourishing things as well. Yeah. I mean, if you think, if we think about setting a feast, right, we set this beautiful feast for our kids of all these literary goodness and these wonderful, rich experiences that expand our kids' horizons about the world and people and classics and all this 
But then if they have this little small bowl of marshmallows, it doesn't keep them from eating the whole feast. It's not like, like all they want to do is gorge themselves on marshmallows for the rest of their life. All they're going to eat is marshmallows, right? I think in the same way, um, you know, I love uh, Jane Austen now. I didn't read her when I was younger. I love lots of classics and good books, but I also really want to watch You've Got Mail and that's okay. And it doesn't mean that that's all I want to watch. It doesn't mean that, that those are all the kind of books that I want to read. But I do think if we have, give our kids the permission to be like a whole human being that loves like classic and rich stories that they have to think really deeply about and also has some light treasures or a Calvin and Hobbes book that they love to revisit because it makes them laugh at the end of a long day. That's a good thing too. So just, yeah, being careful not to, it's kind of similar to something we talked about on the episode about young adults. We have this tendency, I think, as parents to think our kids should always be reading at or above their own quote unquote reading level, right? And one of the things I mentioned on that episode is that as adults, we actually don't read at our reading level. Most of the reading we do is way under our reading level. Most of our novels that we pick up and read just for fun. And like I mentioned that episode, we're talking like John Grisham, Tom Clancy, that kind of stuff. Those are written about the seventh, eighth, ninth grade reading level. The New York Times is written at the 10th grade reading level. We can read above that, but that doesn't mean everything we read needs to be above that. In the same way, our kids can read things that stretch them, things that make them think, and also things that just make reading one of their favorite parts of their day, which is another part of the goal, right? Yeah. I think that's so important that you keep your goal in mind for your child. My goal was always that I wanted my kids to fall in love with reading characters and stories. And if you would have asked my son when he was nine years old, what are your favorite books? He would have told you Calvin and Hobbes, The Hobbit, Garfield, Peanuts, and Tom Sawyer. When we talk about these comic collections and graphic novels, you know, those characters become friends to our kids. And they learn about stories through reading them. And so if our goal is that they fall in love with reading, you know, these books can absolutely help them do that and be part of just a whole spectrum of reading. Well, ladies, I think, believe it or not, we are out of time. As a reminder for our listeners, the show notes are at readaloudrevival.com slash 137. That's where you're going to find our book list of recommendations. We'll have a bunch of graphic novels to recommend for you there. We'll link to that tune guide to reading graphic novels with your kids. All the good stuff we talked about on today's show. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. My name is Madeline, and I am six years old, and I'm from Houston, Texas. And my favorite book is The Tale of Desperate. And why I like it so much is because the mouse is in love with the princess. Hi, my name is Rosalie, and I'm from Houston, Texas, and I'm four years old. And my favorite book is Can I Be Your Dog? And my favorite part of Can I Be Your Dog is when... The Mel Mound gets a new friend. Hello, my name is AJ Wilson, and I live in Fort Collins. I'm eight years old, and my favorite book is The Green Ember because it has, well, it's like a ton of different stories in one book. Hi, my name is Brooke Wilson. I'm 13 years old, and I live in Fort Collins, Colorado. My favorite book is Little Women because of the wonderful characters. My favorite character is Beth because she's so sweet and kind to her sisters. 
Hi, Sarah. My name is Maria. I am 10 years old. I live in Urbandale, Iowa. I love books by Ashton Lindgren. I have read Pippi Longstocking, Seacrow Island, Me and My Son, and The Children of Noisy Village. Can you give me some more book titles by her? Hey, Maria. You know what? I think you might have read more Astrid Lindgren than I have. <laughs> I love it when I find an author like that who I just love. So, let's see. Did you know that there are several books in the Pippi Longstocking series? Pippi Longstocking, Pippi Goes on Board, Pippi in the South Seas, and Pippi on the Run. So if you haven't read all of those, you've got a few you can read there. And then there's another one called Emile and the Great Escape. I haven't read that one yet, but it looks kind of like Pippi. The main character is a boy named Emile, and he's got some adventures. I see a few in that series. Emile and the Great Escape, Emile and the Sneaky Rat, Emile's Clever Pig. Like I said, I haven't read them yet. So if you read any of these, will you write in and let me know what you think? Because then I'll know what I should read next. Next time I want to pick up a book by Astrid Lindgren. What's your name? Night. Say Toto. Daddy. How old are you? Daddy. Say one. And what's your favorite book? Um, Mama. Llama, Llama. Good job. <laughs> What's your name? My name is Bella, and we live in California. And how old are you? Three years old. And what's your favorite read aloud? Mm, fantasy. Fancy Nancy. Hi, my name is Ryan, and I'm seven years old. I live in Menifee, California. My favorite read aloud is Magic Treehouse 1. My favorite part is when they discovered a T-Rex. Hi, my name is JD. I'm eight years old and I'm from China. My favorite book is The Trumpet of the Swan. I like it because Louis wants to pay his father's debt, so he works very hard to earn enough money. He is so trustworthy. Hi, my name is Noah and I live in Waterford, Virginia. I'm eight years old and my favorite book is Magic Treehouse Survival Guide. I like that it is lots of facts from my favorite books. My name is Luke, and I love the box of children. How old are you? Four. And where do you live? Virginia. I mean, Waterford. Waterford, Virginia? Yeah. What is your favorite thing about the box of our children? Jesse finds a box. Do you think other kids would like this story, too? Yeah. And um, there's something else I love. Did you know how Benny finds a dump? What a fun thing for a little boy to find. Yeah, but I, I'm not Benny. I guess I am, I guess. You want to be like Benny? Yeah. All right. And when I grow up, I'm going to be a train driver. Hi, my name is Abby, and I'm nine years old, and I live in Waterford, Virginia. My favorite book is Anne of Green Gables. I like it because it has so much description, and it makes you feel like you're there. My favorite part of the book is when Marilla says how much she loves Anne. Wowzers, so many of my favorites in their kids. Anne of Green Gables, Little Women, Green Ember, The Tale of Despero good stuff. You guys have exquisite taste, I'm just going to say. 
Hey, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the podcast. Remember, if you want to see our book list of recommended graphic novels, you can get it at readaloudrevival.com slash 137. Feel free to share that far and wide. Bring it to your library. We also love it when you tell your librarians about us because sometimes that helps them know what you're going to want to be borrowing from the library and helps them make buying decisions. So feel free to print that out and share it with your librarian as well. I'll be with you again in two weeks, but in the meantime, go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Are you still here? Okay, well, I am too. And I wanted to check to see if you've had a chance to download the samples from RAR Premium yet. RAR Premium is committed to helping you become the peaceful, happy mom you're called to be so that your kids know deep in their bones that you just love homeschooling them and also so that they can become lifelong voracious readers. Get a free sample of RAR Premium by going to readaloudrevival.com sample or by texting the word RAR sample like it's one word all squished together <laughs> to the number 33777.